At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of James. The book of James. Um, it's near the back of your Bible if you're not so familiar uh, with it. And um, we're going to be in uh, chapter one today. Let me get there myself. The book of James. Uh, we're going to begin in verse five today as we took a look at the first several verses last week. Uh, we're continuing on um, today. And you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll never forget the day when uh, I had just finished up driver's training. And uh, my dad was like, hey, now that you're getting ready to uh, get towards being a driver on the road, you got to know where you're going and how to get around. And so the gift that my dad gave me was a gift of a map. And it wasn't like just a little map. It was one of those big maps. Do you guys remember, like, I don't know if you went to the same elementary school that I went to. I know you didn't. But if my elementary school, they taught us how to fold maps. Anyone else do that in elementary school? You know, the big maps, you have to fold in half first and then fold up. Anyways, uh, my dad gave me one of those. And he's like, you've got to be able to learn your way around these roads here in Michigan. And so on one side of the map was uh, Michigan. And then the other side was uh, a large portion of Detroit and the metro area and then some of the other cities. And I remember as a kid, I would, um, not as a kid, as a teenager, um, I would sit at the breakfast table with that map all over the whole table every single morning. And I would sit there and eat my Cheerios and just study that map. I wanted to know where everything was, and I loved how it was, um, you know, you could get your way around anywhere, and so um, I, it made sense. And Michigan roads mostly make sense, you know, like the ones that go north and south and the ones that go east and west, those, those all make sense. But the roads that, like, go diagonal, like, those don't make sense. Like, those are, like, you've got to know which ones those are because not everything, like Grand River, that goes all over the place and goes, does its own kind of thing. And then some roads like Hines Drive, this, this meander, like, to nowhere. Um, but really, if you can see a map and you get a chance to get to know uh, all the ways around. And I remember that as I started to drive, the knowledge of knowing the roads and where they go actually turned into wisdom. Because I knew the road so much, in my mind, it was, I was like MapQuest before there was MapQuest, right? Like in my mind, I could see the, the roads and I could tell that if I was driving down a road and I saw the, the sea of red lights ahead of me, that I knew that I could calculate like an alternative route really, really quick. And I can get around and navigating these orange barrels of doom every single day. And I loved it. It was great. It was always a challenge to me. And so always trying to find the faster route and all that. And so knowledge, studying the map, turned into wisdom, and it was able to help me navigate through the challenges and drivings of life. And now kids even have it a lot easier because now you don't even need a map, right? Everyone's got GPS on their phone. So all you do is you say, hey, where are you going? And you tell the computer, and then it calculates this route, and you just listen to the voice and follow it. But that's maybe for the easier, it's easier for the younger generation just to like submit to that voice. But for me, I still use GPS sometimes. But 
for those of you that were like trained to navigate the roads by knowing which ways they go, like you know a name of a road and you know like it goes east or west, north or south, right? Well, kids don't know these things these days much unless they're trained, they just listen to the GPS. But for those of us that were trained the old way, how many of you find yourself fighting with the GPS? Amen, I see those hands. Yeah, we fight with the GPS. Like, I, I'll put it in a destination and it says, we'll go this way. And then I'm like, why would you tell me to go that way? That's not the fastest way. Like, don't you know it's like 335 and as soon as what happens at 335, school gets out and that becomes a roadblock. Like, you can't go that way. So we're fighting with GPS. Anyone do that? Yeah, because, because we just don't like it. And then sometimes I've used GPS and I've beat GPS. I'm like, yep, I beat you. GPS said I was supposed to go this way. Nope. But then there are sometimes I don't listen to the GPS and I should have listened to the GPS. Right? Maybe you're also like me that uh, the GPS is kind of like a game for you. Like it says, hey, your estimated arrival time is such and such. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> and you find yourself trying to beat it right? That's, that's just the story of my life, right? And, uh, you know, as great as GPS is and as great as navigating is, the reason I bring all that up is because much like driving, the Christian life is a journey, right? The Christian, Christian life is a journey made up of a decision after decision after decision after decision, and we need help navigating all of those decisions. I mean, just think for a moment how many decisions that you made this past week. Like a ton, right? Is there a decision that you made this last week that you wish you could go back and change? Right? Did you make some good decisions this week? Well, let me ask you this question. What informs your decisions? Where do you go to help you as you're navigating the decisions of life? Right, just as my dad was so gracious to give me a roadmap to help me understand how to navigate these roads, God has given us a roadmap to also help us navigate life. To know how it is that we're supposed to go, how it is we're supposed to live and where we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to get there. And here's the crazy thing about the way God has uh, designed us. You know, with as limited as my knowledge and understanding and wisdom is as it comes to navigating the roads. There's like a limit to that, right? I'm not all-knowing when it comes to driving and, and getting from here to there. I make mistakes, and so does GPS. GPS sometimes makes mistakes. Have you ever been driving down the road? This happens in my GPS in my car because it's a little bit older. Um, I'm driving up 75 going north, right where um, it begins to break off for Square Lake and like Opdyke and all that. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, a couple years ago, they changed that interchange, right? The, the, they actually switched the, the roads. And I'm driving in my, my GPS now, and you can see my little car on the map, and I get to that spot, and my GPS doesn't know what to do because I'm, I'm going north on 75, but really I'm actually driving where the, the ramp to Square Lake used to be, and so my GPS is like flipping out and going upside down and turning all around, and it basically almost shuts down every time I drive home in that car. And so there is a limit to understanding. There's a limit to wisdom that uh, the programmers have even put inside of the GPS. But for us as followers of Christ, we know that there is no limit to God's knowledge. There is no limit to his wisdom. He is all-knowing and he is all-powerful. And today, as we are continuing our series in the book of James entitled Living Faith, what, what we want to see today is the book of James was written for believers, it was written for those that have already come to place faith in Jesus Christ. 
So if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus and you maybe haven't got that all figured out yet, then what we're talking about here is the promises that God has for us when we believe. And so I would just encourage you today is, is like, if you're not a believer, just use this time to say, hey, what's standing in the way of me believing in Jesus? Because look at all the benefits that are afforded to those that do believe. And for us as believers, let us be reminded the book of James was written so that we would begin to understand and have appreciation for the process that God is walking through in our lives, right? The, the moment that we come to faith in Jesus, we begin this journey, and this journey is towards holiness. You see, God is in the process of sanctifying us or making us more like Jesus, and it happens through time, it happens through decisions, it happens through difficulties. And the book of James helps us understand how all of this works together, how God is at, at work so that we can become more like him. And last week, as we started out this series, we, we took a look at God uses trials in our lives. God uses difficulties in our lives to help prepare us and make us more mature and complete. And so last week we looked at that, that God tests our faith, right? He allows us to go through those tests so that we can trust him more and grow in our faith. But then we also looked at temptation last week. And we looked at the fact that temptation does not come from God, but that comes from ourselves. And so as we're navigating the challenges of life, sometimes we go through difficulties because God is at work. And sometimes we go through difficulties because we're stupid. And we gotta be able to distinguish those two, right? But that God has given us all that we need as we walk through this life. And so today, what we're gonna take a look at is one of the gifts that God gives us, and it's the gift of wisdom. So today, what we're going to see from God's word is that mature faith seeks God's wisdom, especially in a world where we live every single day making a ton of decisions, decisions that might and we need to understand the power of our decisions, right? So even meaningless decisions or decisions that seem meaningless today, the decisions that we make today begin to impact the direction that our life is heading, right? So if I make decisions today to go right, 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 then I'm gonna continue to go like in a circle, right? But those decisions today are beginning to chart the course for my life. And so decisions begin to develop character, like who we are and what we're made of. And, the, and we continue to make decisions that ultimately define our ultimate destination. And so our decisions are so important. We just don't make decisions in a vacuum. Every single one of our decisions impact a part of our lives. And so what we see here today is we need wisdom in making these decisions. And mature faith seeks God for his wisdom. So the one question we're gonna seek to answer is how do we access then this wisdom? If God is all knowing and God is all loving and God has all wisdom, how is it that we as followers of Jesus get this wisdom? Well, first we see it in James chapter one in verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So the first truth that we see is that God's wisdom is received upon request, right? I love the simplicity of verse five. I don't know if there is any more simple verse in all of scripture, simple to understand, but difficult at many times to actually do, 
right? Simply, the, the words are, are here. If, if you lack wisdom, if, if you're going through life, and especially if you're going through difficult times, if you're going through times of, of testing, if you're going through times of difficulty, we have a lot of questions. And the Bible here tells us if you lack wisdom, if you don't know which way you should go, simply ask God. Ask God, and he will generously give you the answers that you need. He will show you the way in which you go. And he gives, you so, he gives it to you generously, but he also does it without reproach. Now, what this means is, is that he's not, sometimes when we ask questions, you know, like if, you, if, you have, if you're a younger sibling and you go to your older sibling and you have a question about life, like, hey, how does this happen? Your older sibling probably is going to come at you with reproach, right? Like disapproval. Like, you don't know that? Like, how is it that you've been alive X amount of years and you don't know that? What are you, stupid? Right? That's what an older brother or sister will say to their, their younger that's seeking answers. But that's not how God approaches us. Right? He doesn't come to us with disapproval. He's not sad or mad or angry that we're asking the questions. And it, it, it's actually the exact opposite that he's inviting us. He wants us to know what he thinks. He wants us to know in which way he wants us to go. So when we come because of our limited understanding... We come to God and say, God, which way do you want me to go? God does not hold back. God gives us what we need. When we acknowledge that we need wisdom from God, he gives it to us. When we want to know which way is best. And here's the truth about wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Right, Knowing which way to go, which, which way is right, and then choosing to go the right way. That's wisdom. There are a lot of people that have a ton of knowledge in this world. They know, you know, they, they know which way is up. They know which way is down. They know which way is left. They know which way is right. But they don't walk in the right ways. They live foolishly. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom is knowledge applied. And here's the thing that I've learned about wisdom. And when going through difficult times, and initially, the initial question that we have when we go through difficult times is to question God, why? Right? Why, God, am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? And sometimes that, that is a question you can come to God with, but sometimes that's the wrong question. Right? That's not the question of wisdom. The question of wisdom doesn't want to know, hey, God, why is this happening? Instead, the question of wisdom are two different questions. It's, God, what would you have me do as a result of this? Right? That's wisdom. Or God, because of this, how now should I live? Or how should I respond to this? Those are questions of wisdom. Sometimes we don't, because God is so big, and, and remember the fact that every single person in this building right now, God is working out the plan for your life. He is, knows you, he is with you, he knows every step of your life. Now expand that to the rest of the world. Right? Everyone that's alive right now that has breath, God knows the plans for their lives. He knows the steps of their days. He knows the, the, the number of breaths they have left in their life. And yet at the same time, this God who is all-encompassing of all those people is very, very personal. God knows you and he knows what's best for you. Even amidst the sea of all these other people, God knows you. And how do we ask for wisdom? 
through prayer. We simply come to God and say, God, I just don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. Help me to know that. And then God shows us the way to go. I remember as a kid, there were sometimes it was intimidating to ask my parents for things, right? Especially there were, there were times I'd come to my parents and, and I'd have a question and I'd open up the conversation like this. I know you're going to say no, right? And then you could proceed to ask. And then how do they respond? Of course, no, right? They, they of course, say no because you go to them with a crazy request that, that they obviously can't say yes to and so you you do that and, and they obviously say no or sometimes it can be intimidating you know as as an employee to go into your boss's office and ask for a raise right you're like well maybe he'll say yes maybe he won't I don't know and sometimes questionings can be intimidating but this is not the posture of God when we come to him in this situation when we come to him and ask him for wisdom he gives it to us he says, just ask. And it's almost as though we, we don't know which way we should go, and yet we should, all we have to do is look to God. Let me ask you this question. When you walk through perplexing, difficult challenges in your life, is Jesus the first place you go? Have you come to the place in your life where your immediate response to a difficult decision is to bow your knees and say, okay, Lord, I don't know which way I'm supposed to go? Or do you go the way of your natural wisdom? Do you go from your experience? Do you go to your friends and say, hey, I'm in this situation. I don't know which way I should go. What do you think I should do? Or are you following the ways of the world? And it's so easy. It is so easy to act and to deliberate and to make decisions completely devoid of God. So easy to do that. But yet, if we want to know the way in which God wants us to live in a way that leads to life, we need to give him space to answer. So first, we just ask God. We, we come to him and make a request. Second, I want us to see that God's wisdom is requested in faith. Look at me in verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God's wisdom is requested in faith. When we come to him, we trust him with our future. We, we trust that he knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us. For us, And so we trust him. So the key is faith. But a lot of times when we come to God, we're not coming to him in faith. We come with a doubting heart. Now this word doubting here can, can mean uncertainty. Right? We, we can come to God and we're like uncertain that God really knows what's best for us. Or that God will really answer us. We can be uncertain. But I think this word for doubting here that, that James is using is more deeper than that. It's not just an uncertainty about God. It's a distrust of God. It's a, God, I don't think you know what's best for me, or I don't think that you will show up in the way that you will show up. Oh, you may have been faithful to all the people of the past, and I can go to almost any page in, this, in the Bible and see how you're being faithful with your people, but you were faithful then. You can't be faithful now. See, that's a very dangerous place to be. And James tells us if, you're in a, if you come to God and you distrust him, then you're double-minded. 
That person that doubts is like a wave of the sea. Like imagine, like the, the, without faith in God, without trusting in him that he knows what's best for us, that, that gives us our like anchoring in the middle of the sea. It's like an anchor to our ship that goes through life. And if we double-minded, we distrust the anchor that God has given us, then we're tossed to and fro, left and right, up and down. Our lives are scattered. Our lives are deeply challenged. And we don't know which way we're going. James says that person shouldn't receive anything from the Lord because they doubt. They're double-minded, unstable in all of their ways. A double-minded man is restless and confused in his thoughts. He's confused in his actions and behaviors. Such a person is constantly in conflict with himself. He's torn by his inner conflict that he can never get out of. Right? It's the, the person that, that sees a difficult situation before them and is just continuing to go in this, this uh, cycle in their mind where there's no peace, there's no joy. It's just, a, well, what happens if this happens? Well, what happens if this happens? Well, what happens if this happens? Well, then what happens if this happens? And you're trying to fix it in your mind and you have no grace and you have no direction. This person is the one that's double-minded because they have no confidence in the Lord. This person that is double-minded is also unstable in all of his ways. This is the, the imagery of someone that's drunk. Right? When, you, when you get drunk, you lose the ability to, to make decisions. Your head, your head is no longer clear, but it's clouded. And oh, not only is your way not straight, but it's unstable. And this is the life of the double-minded person. The person's distrusting God. They don't know which way they're going. They don't know how they're to respond. And they're unstable in all that they do. This is the person that no longer gives their allegiance to God, but is trying to find answers all in and of themselves. So I don't know where you fall when it comes to making difficult decisions in your life. But I'll tell you, God is faithful God knows what's best for your life and he knows the ways that you should go and he says, just come and ask me and just believe, believe that I will answer you and you will know the way to go and my answers to you will come in the right time and in the right way and then we'll be tasked with the, the, the challenge of obeying the direction that he gives us to go. Now I know there are a lot of people that, that follow Jesus and that really do trust him, but you have a difficult time discerning which way he wants you to go. And I, I've learned this in my own life and I've counseled many other people, is that sometimes we want to know what God wants us to do and which way he wants us to go, specifically with a difficult decision. But when we come to the Lord, we're coming to him with 10,000 questions. Right, we, we, we have this decision that's before us, but then we, we don't only want to know the answer to that question, but we want to know the answer to the, to the question that's 15 steps down the road. And so we we're bringing 15 questions to him at the same time, saying, Lord, well, what about this? Well, then what about this? And what do I do about this? And what, if this happens, what do I do about that? And it's impossible for us to hear from the Lord because we're bringing way too many questions. God is trying to answer them. He's trying to give us wisdom and he's trying to give us understanding but we can't discern his will because there's so many questions. Anyone like that? Do you ever feel that way? Like you're like, I'm, I wanna know what the Lord has for me, but I just don't know which, which way I'm supposed to take my next step. Well, I've learned long ago, the best thing to do 
is to come to the Lord with one question at a time. One question at a time. God, in this situation, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to know about this? Just this one thing. God, I'm, I'm in this situation right now. I'm at a crossroads. I need to, either need to go left or right. Which way do you want me to go? That's a simple question. We give him space to answer, he tells us. And then we don't need to worry because if we go left here, we know in our natural minds that if I go, if I go this way now, then I've got another decision. Do I go left or right in the next one? And then three steps down the road, do I go left or right in the next one? Do I go le left or Stop. I just bring it back to the one. Today, in this thing, which way do you want me to go, Lord? And then give him space to answer and then ask for the strength to obey and to walk through. Let's not complicate it, but give God room to answer. Third, as we come to this passage today, we see God's wisdom results in action. We're skipping on down to verse 19. James writes this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. You see, God's wisdom results in action. We skip down a couple of verses because this is what we see here, is that wisdom results in action. The whole reason that we have wisdom is so that we'll know how it is that we're supposed to act and how it is that we're supposed to walk. And specifically, we need to understand that God's wisdom is not simply meant to be contemplated. Like it, the wisdom is not supposed to just be stay up inside of our head where we think about it or philosophize about it. It's not supposed to be abstract. God's wisdom is to be lived out in our lives. It's supposed to be applied. And that's why in verses 19 through 21, we see that walking in wisdom has a massive impact both on our words and the ways in which we live. Do you see that? Right, he says, Knowing this, my beloved, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become anger. For anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Now he's given us here, wisdom impacts our words. It impacts what we say. You see, we, we are wired in this world that when someone comes to us and begins to speak, we may hear, but we might not listen. Right? Immediately someone comes to talk to us and our mind is automatically set on course, either to agree with this person, to defend ourselves against what this person is saying, and we want to, or fix the problem that the person is talking to us about. We are, we are very passive listeners, but very active thinkers. Like we immediately want to fix it or want to defend ourselves. And what happens when we don't listen and we are quick to speak, it results in anger. Right? Because we're not, we're not interested in the relationship necessarily, but we're interested in moving on to the next thing. So let me give you this quick pointer. 
If you're a person, if you're a person that's easily angered, if you find yourself walking and, and you're like a ticking time bomb where someone can quickly just say something and you go off, the problem is, is that you've stopped listening. That you no longer care about what other people feel. You no longer care about what other people think. You have become so prideful that you think you are the only one that, that uh, matters in this world. Right? I mean, think about it. If you're easily angered driving down the road, why are you so easily angered driving down the road? Because you think the world revolves around you. Right? You're ticked off because the person in front of you is driving too slow because you weren't wise enough to leave yourself enough time to get where you're needing to go. See, if anger's showing up in our lives, it's an easy sign that we stopped walking in wisdom. It's a sure sign that, that we've gone outside of the way of the Lord. And anger always leads to destruction. Anger always destroys relationships. And so James is giving us the key to that, is that it doesn't start, you can't stop yourself from anger. You're, once you get there, it's too late. He says, instead, go back. Wisdom says, we listen to the words of God, and it starts off with us having ears that are open to hear. Right? Stop beginning to say my way is most important, but instead, I want to know what you think. I want to know what you feel. I want to know what's going on in your life. That's why he says, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because once we hear, we understand what the heart is of the person that's talking to us, and then when we speak, we don't speak our own wisdom. We speak the wisdom of the words of God, and that changes the hearts of people. But then he goes on, he says, not only does wisdom applied affect your words, wisdom applied affects the way that you live. Therefore, put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What, he, what he's saying there is at the moment of salvation, the moment that we, we came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled within us. This Holy Spirit helps us understand the word. And God has given us the word as a roadmap, as a way in which we know which, how we're supposed to live. And so we have everything that we need. You see, this book informs you on how to be a better parent. This word informs you how you're supposed to be responsible with your finances. This word tells you how to be a child that honors their parents, how you should be a worker, how you should live in your relationship, how you should live as a neighbor. The word of God informs every area of our lives and it's given to us so that we may know how it is that we're supposed to live. Because what God is in the process of doing is producing, producing righteousness through our lives. Righteousness is right living. And we know it because he's given us the word. And so then he goes into this in verse 22. He's like, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Like, don't just come to the word, read the word, and let it sit there, and then go live your own life. He's like, that's crazy. And then he gives us an example. He's like, the word of God is like a mirror. Right, like you, the person comes to a mirror and they, they see the reflection in the mirror, they see things about themselves and they don't turn away and immediately forget what they look like. Like imagine for example that, that you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to your mirror and you see like a growth on your cheek. Right, it looks like bad. Maybe, maybe there's pus, maybe there's not, maybe it's purple, I don't know. But you have, you have something on your face, right? And, and it's like right there and, and it's very obvious and you see it. Now imagine how crazy it would be if you see that blemish, you see that problem, and you turn away and you're like, eh, it's no big deal. Like you deny that it's even there. 
You deny that there's even a problem, right? How, how many of you would actually do that? No, immediately you see something on your face, the first thing you do is you're starting to Google it. Like, you're not even calling the doctor yet. You're like, is this thing on my face cancer? Is this thing on my face going to kill me? You're immediately trying to fix it, right? And then you go to the doctor and you wanna figure out what the problem is because you understand that what this is is not right. This is the same that is true in the word of God. Like we come and we see ourselves as a reflection of who God is in us and we come to God's word and he says, hey, this is the area of your life where you're stepping outside of my design and we see it and we know it. And then if we just forget about it, we're like, ah, that's no big deal. It's not really there. It's gonna fix itself. No, it's not. We need the power of God inside of us to change us so that we live in the way that he wants us to live. But here's the thing. I know so many people that come to the word of God and they see this as so restrictive. They're like, I don't wanna read the Bible because it's gonna tell me all the things that I can't do. It's gonna keep me from having fun and doing all this. And let me just be real honest with you right now. This is not a, a book of restrictions. This is a book that sets boundaries in your life that will lead to life, right? The ways in which God wants us to live. God has designed life so that we might enjoy it and so that we might have be in right relationship with him and right relationship with others. It's when we come to this word of God and we feel like it's oppressive because we can't do the things that we want to do, that's when we find ourselves walking through difficulties and challenges. God's standards may seem restrictive, but these are actually boundaries for life. I love how he gives us this picture here. He says, but the one who looks perfectly, or looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. See, these are not, this is not meant to be restrictive. This is meant to give life to your life. Right? He says here that it's the law, this perfect law. So God's law is perfect. There's not a blemish. It's not a problem with it. He, he didn't, didn't get it wrong, but God has given us his perfect law. And this law gives freedom. This law is liberty. It's life-giving, not life-sucking, but life-giving. And he goes on and he says, but the one who perseveres, the one that holds on to this truth, the one that says, okay, I don't understand it. The world says I'm crazy, but I'm still gonna follow through. The one who does that will be blessed in his doings. You wanna be happy? You wanna have life? Follow the word of God. Obey what we see in God's word, especially after we ask him for wisdom. Because that's the thing. You ask God, God, I'm in this situation. How should I live? We read his word. He gives us wisdom. And then we're stuck with a problem to either obey or disobey. And if we choose to obey, it's going to lead to life. If we choose to disobey, it's going to cause dysfunction. It's going to cause disunity and all kinds of problems. I'll never forget when I was in college and I began to really, God had placed it on my heart. Um, I wanted to be married. Right? Like most college people, they get to that time in their life, they're like, well, probably should think about marriage. And so I began to think about it. I'm like, okay, I want to know what God wants for marriage. I, I really hadn't thought about it. I saw my parents' marriage. Their marriage was fine, all of that. But I wanted to know what God wanted for my marriage. So I began to look at what kind of a marriage honors the Lord. And you know what I found? I found something pretty amazing. Right in the beginning of Genesis. That God says that he's created man and woman, 
that marriage is designed for one man and one woman to become one flesh. Now, that to you might not be super shocking, but for me, it was super shocking because I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean that God has designed us to be one flesh? And as I continued to study more, I, I realized that the marriage relationship is designed by God to be the most intimate, most vulnerable relationship this side of heaven. It's designed for one man and one woman to be together. And one of the ways in which we experience this intimacy, one of the ways we experience this oneness is through sex. And that boggled my mind because I continued. I'm like, okay, what is, how, does, how does this happen? And then I, I was talking with someone in uh, one of my counselor friends and he told me, he's like, this is what happens when you are intimate with another person. He says, your souls mingle. That's what happens. The two become one and you have this mingling of, of souls together so that your soul and your, your spouse's soul are to be combined so that you can feel and know. And he, he says, this is the beautiful thing because it's, it's a way of fixing what was broken in the fall. Remember what happened in the fall? Right, the, when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt two things. First thing, they realized they were naked and they felt shame. Prior to that, prior to eating of the fruit, they were naked, but there was no shame. They were completely vulnerable before each other, enjoying each other's company as husband and wife. And then as soon as sin came in, they realized they were naked and they felt shame. This is a damaging thing. And so I was like, okay, wow, God, this is, this is overwhelming for me. Like I had, I had grown up in the church, I'd always known, they'd always told me, never, don't have sex before marriage, don't have sex before marriage, don't say, have sex before marriage. I signed like 900 purity cards or something like that as commitments, but I never really understood why. They just told me what I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't understand why. And this was the most amazing thing. I understand and understood why. Because God has something special for me that he was holding back for a time and that he wanted me to experience a closeness and a oneness. While all my other friends were seeing it just as a physical act, sex is not just a physical act. It is a spiritual thing that mingles your soul with another person. And I wondered why all of my friends were walking around struggling with their identity, struggling with uh, in their relationships because they just saw it as a physical act when in reality what they were doing is they mingled their souls with so many other people that it's impossible now to, extinguish, or to distinguish who they really were. And so I made a decision in that moment. I said, okay, God, I'm gonna hold out for your design. I'm gonna do it. I, I just don't know what... I don't know if I can, but I know this is what you want me to do, so give me the strength. And so I decided in that moment, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna date. I'm just not gonna date anyone until I find the one that God wants me to marry. And so I just did. And then Sarah came into my life, and a couple years later, I was just praying. I was like, okay, God, Sarah and I are kind of in this situation. What, what's our future? And God's like, hey, marry her. I'm like, okay, all right. She's a nice girl, I'll go marry her. So at the time, she was in, she was in uh, Oklahoma. I was in Michigan. I jumped on a plane, flew down there, and went to her. And I'm like, hey, will you marry me? Here's the amazing thing about God and his wisdom. Like her and I hadn't talked about it. Her and I hadn't defined the relationship. We were just good friends. But God had been working so much in her heart and been, had been preparing her 
that when I asked her, she said yes. And like in an instant, we went from friends to being engaged just like that. And I was like, oh my goodness. All of our friends are like, that's really strange. Don't you supposed to date before you get engaged? We're like, well, no, God said, this is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. I'm just trying to follow through in his wisdom. And so all of our friends were perplexed by that. And shortly after becoming engaged, Sarah and I sat down and we said, hey, let's, let's carve out the boundaries for our physical relationship. And as I prayerfully considered God's wisdom, God gave me a boundary. And the boundary was, he's like, Jeff, I just don't want you to kiss. Like, don't kiss until you get married. Like, hold, hold that off. And I was like, really? Oh, okay. So I go to Sarah, and I'm like, Sarah, I think God wants us not to kiss until we get married. And she's like, really? What, what's wrong with you? Like, no, like we're, in, like, we're gonna get married. Like, I have a ring, and we're gonna be together, and we're not supposed to kiss. And I'm like, I just, I just don't think, we're, I, I think this is what God wants us to do. And she's like, okay. And looking back on it now, God knew exactly what I needed because God knows the kind of guy, I'm a tenacious kind of guy. Like when I, when I want something and I know something, I like go and get it. Like I'm gonna get married, I jump on a plane and you know, I, I make it happen. That's who I am. And so God knowing that about me gave me this line because in my nature, you give me a line and guess what I'm gonna do with it? I'm gonna dance with that line. I'm gonna get as close to that line as I human possibly can. And if I'm lucky, I'll stay behind it. But more than likely, I'm gonna dance with that line and I'm gonna accidentally step over the line. And so God knowing in my life what I really wanted to wait for, I really, really wanted to wait to be with my spouse. God said, I'm gonna put the line right back there because I know what you're gonna do because you're gonna dance with that line. And guess what? You fall over that line, no big deal, right? Is it a sin if I kiss my fiance before we get married? Absolutely not, right? There's, that's not in the good book. It's nowhere in there. And that's exactly what we did for our year of engagement. I danced with that line. I danced with that line. And I wanted to kiss her so badly, but I didn't. And I was nowhere near the line. And you know what? It was all worth it. For on my wedding day, has stood before Sarah and the pastor said, you may kiss the bride. In that second, I leaned in and I tasted and I saw that the Lord was good. Like this gift that he had given me, that I was in this expression that I was able to experience with my wife was worth the wait. And I wanna tell you, man, like, like that has set, holding out for that has set the foundations for our marriage. Our marriage isn't perfect. It's, it's far from perfect. We argue, we fight, we disagree and all that. But I'll tell you what, I know that we are going to be together until death parts us because I know she's a woman that trusts me and I'm a, I'm a man that trusts her and the Lord has knit us together with this foundation because it was based in wisdom. Now, I have to tell you, during that year of engagement, Everyone looked at us and like, you guys are crazy. Like, wait a minute, you're not kissing until you get married? Yeah, the, we really feel like that's the way to honor the Lord. Well, that's stupid. That's legalistic. Like, okay, whatever. And we got all these looks, even from like our parents. They're like, I don't understand it, but okay, if that's the way you wanna live. And yet that's what God needed for us. You see, following God and his wisdom and being obedient is not gonna make sense. It's gonna look different. Like when you trust God with your finances and you get to the point in your life where you trust him a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and eventually you're giving more money away than you're living on, like that person, that person's walking in wisdom. And it's because they've taken those small steps of faith and that God does extraordinary things with it. 
Church, I want you to understand that the ways that God wants us to live and the designs that he's given for life are for our life. God doesn't want, God's not trying to keep you away from having fun with life, but he wants you to be able to experience it. We just have to trust him and we have to ask him for wisdom. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you've got a big decision that's right before you, or maybe you're walking through a season of difficulty and you have been asking the question of why. God, why is this happening? Instead, maybe ask the questions of wisdom. God, instead of why, what would you have me do? Or how would you have me respond in this situation? Or, or maybe you're here today and, and you've never come to know Jesus before in your life. Like you, you hear all these things that I'm talking about and you're like, I don't even know. But you know today that there's something missing. You know today that there's something not right. And I want you to understand that what's not right is you've never knelt before Jesus, asking him to forgive you of your sins and giving him control of your life. Like if you do that, that's when this process begins. That's when the promises of the Bible come and bear themselves out in our lives. So church today, let us respond to the message that we've heard. Let us not just hear the message and go back and say, man, that was, that was a good example. I really, really like that example. No, let's put it into practice, the things that we've heard, especially today as you're gonna be forced to make decisions. Maybe at lunch, like, Lord, give me wisdom. Should I make the healthy choice or should I make the unhealthy choice? Let it begin in all of our decisions, trusting him and just saying, God, Show me what you want me to do. And I guarantee that he would take you on a journey that will be amazing and it's worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for your words of truth and your words of life. Father, we need your wisdom because there is a limit to our understanding. There is a limit to our knowledge. There's a limit to our experience. But God, I'm thankful that you are unlimited. Father, that you are all-knowing and you are all-powerful, and I am thankful for the fact that we have access to you because of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we take advantage of this, that we would not be people that walk around confused, tossed to and fro, where we're double-minded and we're stumbling through life, but instead, Father, you have showed us the ways that we are to go. You have given us the gift of prayer so that we can come to you and say, God, I need your help. Father, for those that are here today that are really struggling with a decision in their life, I pray, God, that they would come to you and that you would give them that wisdom. Father, for those that have that know that are that they are walking outside of your wisdom right now, they know. They know the way they are to live and they are being disobedient and rebellious. Father, I pray that you would move them to surrender. That instead of going their own way today, that they would return to you and lay it once again at your feet and say, I can't, but with your power, I can. For those here that may not know you today, may they call on you for salvation. But Father, as we sing this song in closing together, would you move us to whatever place where we need to be a doer of the word 
and not just a hearer only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.